Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guy, your insider's guide to all things franchising in the local area. I'm Blake Martin, local small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guy. This is the place for advocacy, resources, and education on all things franchising and a great place for entrepreneurs to stop by when they're just trying to learn more about the field. We got a great one for you this week. It's all about lease negotiation. And so I get to introduce my friends, Katie and Dave, from Abrams, Caslow, and Casman LLP, attorneys at law, of course. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Blake. How are you? Good. Obviously, this is Katie and this is Dave. So appreciate you being here. David Nelson and Katie Glissman, uh, a wealth of experience in lease negotiation and lease-related contract law. So really looking forward to digging into that because needless to say, that's relevant to many franchise ease in the local area. I got to ask you a question. I was raised by an attorney, surrounded by an attorney. I'm like the only male in my family that's not an attorney. When did you guys know you wanted to practice law? Oh, gosh, I'll let you go first. <laughs> when I was a junior and undergrad at Kearney State, I was an accounting and finance major. Really? I decided to give the law a try. So took the LSAT and applied to law schools, and the rest is history. Fantastic. And that was, what, four years ago? About maybe yeah. six-ish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did we give you enough time to think of your answer? I, I had no plan other than I thought maybe I'd be a doctor or a lawyer and I couldn't yeah. stand blood. So <laughs> it was the d- default option. And it's worked That's out well. That's such an honest answer. I appreciate it's worked that. worked out well. It could have been some, you know, grandiose response. Like, no. I watched this or I watched that. No. <laughs> I read this book. Well, I appreciate knowing that. Real people who I like to say when I'm interviewing professionals like you, I think I I know you well enough to say you're folks that take your business very seriously, but you don't take yourselves too seriously. And you're approachable, which is nice. Thanks. So let uh, let me lay the groundwork here with the audience real quick. The reason that we're doing this session is most, not all, franchise owners, like all small business owners, at some point they're going to encounter the need for a lease for property where their business is operated. Some of them will buy it, but let's say that they don't buy it. And by the way, even if they do buy it, they might be leasing out space to somebody else. So this is still valuable to them. Well, the reality is it's a fixed cost and it's probably one of your most expensive costs in most businesses. So you need to get it right the first time. Would you agree? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's a substantial cost. And the thing is that the two of you know from working with clients on this the person who's negotiating that lease, oftentimes it's their first, the, the entrepreneur, the franchisee, it's their first time, or maybe they've only done it a few times, and they're in a negotiation, they're in a discussion with a landlord or a landlord's representative who's done it a lot of times. And I have nothing negative to say about landlords, I'm one myself, but you want to make sure that you've got your ducks in a row and that you're getting good advice because that's the position you're in. Would you agree? Yes. Totally. We love helping new business owners with their leases because a lot of times they don't even realize you can negotiate those contracts, right? They just kind of think like it's something that you're supposed to sign. Um, So to be able to walk through that with people and help them understand, hey, like the landlord doesn't really expect you just to sign this. You can make sure that you're comfortable with it too is really important for us. Appreciate that. So what is negotiable in a lease agreement? Everything. <laughs> Is that what you'd say too? I, I would agree, yes. We yeah. we represent both landlords and tenants, and we know the issues. 
And our job is really to spot the issues, the things that you had mentioned that the client tenant doesn't know what the Mm -hmm. term means or know if it's an issue for them. Spot the issues, give them options, and then try to negotiate revisions. And then let them make business decisions on the terms that the landlord will not agree to revise. Makes sense to me. Let me go back to that original question. I was thinking about it. So what's negotiable? Okay, but in reality, we're, we're doing this interview in the fall of 2022, and we're in a hot market, depending upon the category you're looking at, right? Like what kind of, whether it's office space or industrial or... So is it fair to say that in some situations it's more negotiable and some situations it's less negotiable based upon where supply and demand works in the landlord's favor? Sure. I think there's market considerations that that dictate certain levels of uh, leverage one way or the other. But I think there's often common ground that can be reached where Mm -hmm. maybe it's not exactly what the landlord asked for or maybe not exactly what the tenant wants, but there's some middle ground that can make most people comfortable. Um, So a lot of times when we get clients that come in, they've already gotten information from their real estate agent or their broker about, you know, rent prices, tenant allowance items. So they're already coming in with here's my baseline. This is what I'm agreeing to pay with the landlord. So now let's figure out the details. Like, how is that going to be paid? What additional costs am I going to be responsible for? What kind of liability am I signing up for? So a lot of times those, those market considerations, by the time they get to us, they've already gotten comfortable with in terms of what their, you know, baseline cost is going to be. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So uh, again, case by case basis, but um, there has to be some starting point for every client. Mm-hmm. What would you say, are there, are there any, are there one or two things that if you see it in a lease agreement, you really want to work hard to remove that from the lease agreement? I mean, are there any things where you say, boy, they're just throwing that in there. They're throwing everything in the kitchen sink and we're taking these few things out to begin with no matter what. I look at lease um, provisions and I try to separate them from into categories of what are costs, what are things that are definitely going to be a cost to the tenant, yeah, and what are provisions that are going to be a risk to the tenant. So example on costs are your triple net terms of rent, if you have a triple net lease, taxes, insurance, and maintenance. Mm-hmm. That's the NNN. Yes. Yep. And then, or if, if it's built into operating costs, if you're in a multi-tenant facility, a shopping development or um, versus a single leased location, land and building. Yeah. And then also um, your insurance, um, additional insured, um, the types of coverage you're going to have, maintenance and repair allocations that are allocated between the landlord and the tenant. You know, an example is to make sure things like the American Disabilities Act, Mm -hmm. compliance with, with, federal regulations and statutes that we try to keep that on the landlord because the improvements can last beyond the term of the lease. Gotcha. So we make the position that it is responsibility of the landlord. And then on the the risk side, just the indemnification terms, if there's an accident to make sure you have the right coverage as a tenant, that you have the right endorsements for your policy, if there's waiver subrogation and additional insured for the landlord. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you talk waiver of subrogation? So waiver of subrogation is basically the concept where if I damage your building, you're the landlord, I'm the tenant, mm-hmm. 
if subrogation is waived, you will look only to your insurance company to pay the claim, and the insurance company is not subrogated to your rights to sue me as the tenant that damaged the building. Yeah. And vice versa, if the landlord is negligent or their employees are negligent that causes damage to the tenant's inventory, fixtures, personal property, I will look only to my insurance for that claim, and the insurance company is not subrogated to my rights to sue you. Gotcha. So it's benefit for both landlord and tenant, and it's allowed in the insurance industry. Thank you. Appreciate that clarification. We find that a lot of times one of the main items that tenants aren't, are overlooking is the insurance piece, right? And that's really important because a lot of times a lot of the liability for tenants is covered off through insurance. But one of the big items is figuring out who has the casualty or the property insurance on a space. And sometimes, and in a lot of cases, the, the landlord will carry that and then pass the cost on to the tenant. But you want to make sure that they have that insurance and it's the right level of insurance because otherwise the tenant's liability insurance, which may only be up to 500000 or a million, wouldn't cover the cost of a complete replacement of the property itself. So and then it could potentially come out of fall their back pocket. on them unless the landlord has, you know, full replacement coverage with the correct waivers of subrogation and mm-hmm. that type of language in the lease. So that's something we obviously recommend. They talk to their insurance carriers to make sure that they know that they have the appropriate coverages and endorsements, but also that we make sure we get the language right so that everybody's kind of on the same page. It's not one of those things that's usually a sticking point. It's just one of those things that making sure that the landlord and tenant are aligned on what the responsibilities are. And there's clarity in writing in case the poop hits the fan someday. Yeah, that's one of those yeah. situations you never want to happen, right? And hopefully it never does happen. And But, you know, it could be a major cost item for the tenant if it's not done right. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> What um, we talked, I was thinking about a, you know a few things that people get confused about. You already described triple net, the NNN. So thank you for that. We also talked briefly, or you mentioned uh, tenant improvement or tenant allowance. People call it TI, whatever. Can you talk a little bit about tenant improvement, tenant allowance, and what people should know about that if they've never signed a lease before? Do you want to take that sure. one? Sure. Um, so often in a lease, the landlord will provide a tenant allowance. To the tenant, and what that is is it's usually a fixed dollar amount that's decided up front. It's part of the lease. It's a section in, in the lease that allows the tenant to use funds supplied by the landlord to build out the space. It could be shelving. It could be um, office furniture, uh, partitions, anything that the landlord or the tenant would need to operate the space. Typically. Uh, the provision in the lease provides that the tenant can spend up to that amount. The okay. landlord has to approve the contractors and approve the budget for for the expenses, and any unused amount is not then credited to the tenant for rent. What I try to negotiate for the tenant is is that amount will not be escrowed, but the tenant could use it at a later date if additional changes were were necessary. Gotcha. There are provisions sometimes in leases from the landlord's perspective that if the lease terminates early, if the tenant's in default and, and there's an eviction, that that tenant allowance is damages the landlord can collect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very nice tool for a tenant because, as we know, uh, franchise tenants, even non-franchise tenants, have startup expenses, 
And that's just something that the landlords are in, especially in a, in a market that we're in right now. Yeah. Uh, that landlords are furnishing to tenants. So it's, it's very good to ask for that by the tenant. Um, sometimes the landlord doesn't have it in their plan, but we'll make an exception and, and grant it for this tenant. Another thing to consider with that that tenants often don't realize is a lot of times the landlord's not going to actually pay out that amount until after the work is completed mm. and a certificate of occupancy is obtained. And so what that causes is the tenant to either have the required cash or get a loan for that amount. So they have to, to be able to plan for that, knowing that they'll get a reimbursement from the landlord at the end. That's a good tip. Which is sometimes tough, right? Because new business owners maybe just don't have the operating cash or have, you know, kind of maxed out what they can get their loan for, especially if they're maybe purchasing an existing franchise business. So um, it's just one of those things that if, if it needs to be negotiated with the landlord, then you need to be able to do it up front so that they know what the expectation is um, in terms of when that money will come in. So you talked about in, in that response which is very helpful. Thank you. You talked about um, representatives uh, that they might be working with, like a, a realtor, a commercial realtor. If somebody's working with a commercial realtor, why do they still need an attorney like you? We do that's, that's my we softball do question things. for you. Yeah, we do, dif- <laughs> we do different things. Uh, the realtors are obviously really valuable in this, in this type of transaction, right? Unless the franchisor has like a particular division within its organization that helps select sites for their franchisees, a realtor will really know the market, know the open locations, know the landlords and what kind of landlord those people, you know, those landlords are to know whether they're good or not good. Um, So the realtor really kind of lays the groundwork, right? Like in terms of, of the market and and what they're getting. And then we kind of help and come refine that and make sure that the tenant knows what they're getting into and what to expect. Got it. Additional things we'll do that are outside of the lease terms for a tenant that the real estate agent or broker don't typically handle is we'll check zoning to make sure that the zoning allows their intended use of the property mm-hmm. and also check restrictive covenants. Mm-hmm. If there's any deed covenants on the property that limit use to so many um people in a building or certain height restrictions, setback restrictions, sometimes prohibitions or might be a tenant in the complex that has an exclusive use right. for a certain type of product or service. Can't open a coffee house if there's already another one in that yeah, same So we'll, we'll check that and raise that to the tenant's uh, understanding and then they can make a decision if that's the right space for them. Yeah. You know, what we find is, you know, I think a lot of Obviously, I would be the same way as a lot of new business owners are, you know, hesitant to spend money on kind of what they see as just paper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think we find when we start the process with somebody like that, it doesn't end like that, right? They, it helps us develop a relationship with them, which will hopefully grow. I mean, our firm is based upon long-term relationships with clients that grow out of trust and longevity, so our desire is to create a relationship with a client that goes past just a lease negotiation. So we try to be fair. We try to be reasonable. We try to be efficient. But, you know, I think they they learn the value of what we're providing by the end of it that may not be apparent to them at the beginning. You know what I mean? Because we're, we're trying to save them money over the term right. of their lease, whether that's <laughs> three years or five years or ten years or whatever. So even though it's a piece of paper, we hope that there's, you know, they recognize some value at the end. Yeah. 
potentially real value that yeah that dollars might not even, might yeah. not even realize how that's going to work out right. to their advantage at the time. That's a really good way to segue and remind everybody. So, how do people get a hold of Abrams Caslow Kasman? You can call us. We got our website. Uh, we're on you know all the social media pages. Best way I think to introduce yourself if you're potentially looking for somebody like us is to call, pick up yeah. the phone and call. Um, that way you can get a feel for you know us or whatever attorney you might be working with um, to see if it's something that's in their wheelhouse. And experience and um, kind of develop a relationship that way. I noticed today uh, when I was double checking. So if you, Abrams Caslow Kasman, right? Unless everybody's going to memorize the spelling. I Googled AKC Law Omaha and you guys came right up. Good. So we can do that, right? And then yes. you get the phone number and everything. Okay. So a couple more questions. I know we're going to have to wrap up here in just a minute, but a few things that uh, I wanted to ask you about and make sure to include in here. You answered the question about why not to do it on your own. So let me throw it out a different way. What are the risks of somebody not having a proposed lease reviewed by an attorney who understands it? Well, we've went over several of the risks, Blake. I, you know, the waiver subrogation, the insurance terms, making sure your insurance agent reviews your, all of the insurance and the identification terms. Um, but just to help the client identify the costs and budget for them. You know, the maintenance and repair costs that they're going to have under the lease. Um, do they need any permits? What are the cost of having those permits and maintaining them in compliance with laws? Do they need to collect sales tax? And getting that permit and, and budgeting for that, um, making sure they have the workers' compensation that's required by state law. Just really helping them budget, identifying yeah. the risks, the cost, and, and budget for those so that there's no surprises for the tenant once they're operating. That's really well said. I mean, a fire or a, uh, a tornado or any type of a casualty is unexpected, but if we've got the right lease terms, we can plan for how that's going to be um, handled. Mm-hmm. Is there a termination option in, in the lease? Do the lease term match the franchise agreement term? Is there a renewal option in favor of the tenant under the lease to match any renewal option under the franchise agreement? Um, We'd like to have a termination right that the lease itself terminates if for some reason the franchise agreement terminates. Aren't always successful in getting that, but we try that. Does the assignment provisions match? In a franchise agreement, you're always going to need the franchisor's consent to transfer the franchise you're going to need the landlord's consent also, but try to get the terms of those matching and to allow for an assignment of the lease to a, fr- to a successor franchisee mm-hmm. that you would assign to. Yeah, I think one thing we haven't mentioned yet is a lot of times a franchisor, as you know, is going to have particular requirements that they want included in the lease, whether as part of the lease or a rider. Yeah. And so... Yeah. You're going to be in default of your franchise agreement from day one if you don't get that figured out, right? So that's obviously an important piece to make sure that the landlord signs off on. Absolutely. You, you intuitively took my last question, so thanks. I'm sorry. But I did think, no, it's perfect. <laughs> Leases <laughs> Sounds also, better when you're talking anyways. <laughs> Leases also, also often require the tenant to have a service contract for the HVAC and other parts so we yeah. can identify that and put together a checklist for the tenant it's a uh, pre or post closing items 
post-closing, post-lease signing, post-franchise mm-hmm. agreement closing, things that they need to have in place pre and post. Sequencing it appropriately. Yes. Makes a lot of sense. One last question. Um, personal guarantees. How often do you see landlords asking for personal guarantees from the tenants? And if the answer is more than 1%, uh, describe what the personal <laughs> guarantee means. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of times, right, um, franchisors, they can either choose to sign in their own name, but a lot of times most new business owners are sophisticated enough these days to set up an LLC or a corporation yeah. to run their business. So in that case, you'd be signing the lease in the name of the LLC or the corporation, similar to the way you would be signing the franchise agreement. Well, if it's a brand new LLC or corporation, a landlord's going to be hesitant because their your liability to them will be limited to whatever's in the LLC or corporation. So sophisticated landlords or landlords that have multiple properties or have been doing it for a long time will typically, will, will typically require a guarantee. There's some landlords that if you have a personal relationship or maybe you've operated a business that's different from the franchise and they know you and you have history of operating, you know, maybe there's a chance that they won't ask for it. I mean, we do still see that sometimes where there's just not a request. But I think one of the benefits of coming to a lawyer is, when you sign a personal guarantee, just like when you sign, you know, a loan for your house, a loan in your personal name mm-hmm. or whatever, you're you're putting your own assets at risk, your personal assets right. at risk. And so one of the benefits that we can offer is we can say, hey, we understand you're going to be on the hook for this personal guarantee. This landlord's requiring one, but we can kind of help you try to negotiate it to something less. Maybe there's a cap on your guarantee or maybe it's mm-hmm. limited to a certain number of years or maybe it's covers everything but x and so that way you know we're just trying to protect your assets to the extent that you know we can sometimes the landlord goes for that i mean i I would say often they do if it's a reasonable request if it's an unreasonable request they're not likely to but you know we try to get something for the tenant in that respect the art of negotiation (laughs) yeah well you guys just ended it with a flurry of gold nuggets so thank you so much we really appreciate you packed a lot of good information in there in half an hour or less. So thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us. You know, yeah. we enjoy working with you, so we appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you. Dave Nelson, Katie Glissman from Abrams Caslow Casman LLP Law. Appreciate again you being here. I hope all of you enjoyed this episode, and I hope all of you continue to enjoy episodes. So don't keep it a secret, right? Remember, you can scan the QR code on the screen so we can get to the contact info for AKC and anything else you need. Just scan that QR code. You'll get in contact with us, and we'll make sure you get the answers you need. And don't keep us a secret. Remember, share us, subscribe, and follow. We want other people that you trust and want to know more about this industry to be knowledgeable. So thanks for all of you, and we'll see you again on another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guy. Huda Media Production.